is an Odyssey original. This is Coronavirus Daily, World on Pause. I'm Charles Feldman from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. And I'm Mike Simpson, New York Yankees, baseball's most successful franchise, most World Series titles, uh, Babe Ruth, Mickey Mantle, you, you get the idea. But all that success, no match for COVID, even with vaccines, two coaches, a support staff member testing positive even after they've been vaccinated. Sounds concerning, but is it really? Veterinarians across the country, they're busy, very busy. Because of the pandemic pet boom, we'll explain. Airline pilots getting back to work, travel demand increasing. They're a bit rusty. That's not always good. Another day, another shortage. This time it's connected to popular chicken sandwiches. What will we do? Let's start with COVID breaking through with the Yankees. Dr. John Moore, microbiologist, immunologist, Cornell Medical College. So, doctor, these breakthrough cases, they get our attention for obvious reasons. But what do we really need to know about these? Well, to me, the story is a bit of a nothing burger. It's entirely expected that some people will get infected after vaccination. The the Pfizer and Moderna mRNA vaccines are 95% effective at preventing any form of COVID. Well, that means that five people out of every 100 will become infected. It's 95% protective, not 100%. For Johnson & Johnson, It means around 25 out of every 100 will become infected. But what matters is that these infections are almost always extremely mild. There are very, very few examples of vaccinated people becoming infected with such a severity that they go to hospital or have severe disease or death. So the infections are mild cases, recovering at home, and nothing to be concerned about. But Again, we need to remember that vaccines, these vaccines, are not 100% infect, uh, protective. So some people will get mild infections. It's really that simple. And it's the case with many, if not most, vaccines. Is that not the case? Yeah, absolutely it is. And the flu vaccine is rarely 70% effective. And that's in a good year. It's not a particularly good vaccine. It's not directly comparable. But most vaccines prevent you from having disease or severe disease. They don't necessarily protect you from getting infected with a mild case. So that, that's the message that's been, go, been sent around right from the start. And unfortunately, some aspects of the media still think there's a story in Yankee coach gets infected and has to quarantine at home for a few days. It's, it's, it's not a big deal. It's just being made into one because it happens to be a prominent sports team. I mean, we all remember getting sick, right, with the common cold, and you'd be home for a few days, and you'd ride it out with Gatorade or Pedialyte or whatever it is. And if that's the worst that happens to you post-vaccine, and if it is COVID, then that's way better than getting COVID pre-vaccine and, uh, you know, having weeks or maybe winding up in the hospital or maybe dying. These vaccines stop you dying and or stop you having a severe bout of illness that needs hospitalization and possibly very long term consequences. That's why we take them. And, you know, the stuff about masks and and people having problems wearing masks, wearing masks all this winter has really stopped people getting the cold or flu. I mean, how many people know other people who had a bad bout of a flu or a cold this this winter? It's flu season. There wasn't one because people were wearing masks or should be wearing masks. And that prevented transmission of the flu virus, which is just as effectively blocked. So, I mean, the real problem, though, is it not uh, with the covid vaccines is because they're so new, 
people are being perhaps either ultra picky or they're trying to make you know something out of out of nothing uh and perhaps as time goes by and people get more adjusted and it becomes more common to get covid vaccines perhaps all this hysteria will wane i hope so uh, the story the real story is that we need to persuade a significant fraction of americans that are still hesitant at getting this these vaccines it it could be up to 30% of americans and it's concentrated on, among republican leading voters and and there's a real issue here because we will never eliminate this this virus from our society if a large fraction of americans choose to not take the vaccines they're entitled to they will represent a pool of people that the virus will continue to circulate in and we will be having this kind of conversation next year it's it, the the solution to the pandemic is in our hands we have incredibly powerful and safe tools and everyone should be using these tools not just uh, significant not just the majority it should be everyone dr john moore microbiologist immunologist cornell medical college the pandemic has led to more and more people getting pets. Animal shelters here in Southern California were emptying as people looked for furry companions while they stayed home. The pets, of course, they need to see doctors sometimes. So the doctors now busy, veterinarians overwhelmed by all the pets coming in. Earl Abram, practice manager, chief operating officer, vet tech at the Veterinary Care Center in Hollywood. So Earl, how's the pandemic impacting pets and then the care that they need? Um, so I, I guess we initially thought that uh, when everyone was at stay-at-home orders, that they would affect us in a negative fashion, but it actually did not. Um, we were allowed to stay open as one of the essential businesses, and it seemed as though we got more busy, just extremely busy. All of the shelters were adopting animals left and right. I think as 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 the population was confined to their house, they they all needed something to do, and they all went out and adopted animals or bought new puppies and kittens, and, and we got busier. Yeah, and then they brought them to you. Uh, how busy is busy? Are you, like, booked weeks out? Well, what's it What's it like right now for you guys? So, yes, we are booked out probably easily five, six days at a time. Um, we are telling clients, yes, my next available appointment is, you know, five days out from now. I probably have, on average, 12 to 15 new clients a day, and that's just, just word of mouth, just... I think a lot of places are looking for either a new hospital because some of the smaller places closed down. Um, but, yes, we've just been busier. Yeah. Why did some of them close down, though, if there was such demand even during the pandemic? So uh, my hospital has 12 doctors, and I think that factored into us having an existing large client base that allowed us to stay busy. And then the newer the newer clients were looking for places to go, and we were continually accepting new clients. Some of the smaller practices put up flags were no longer accepting new clients, and I think just some of their some of their smaller practices did see a decrease in in business. But I think for the most part, the industry uh, had an uptake. So, what do you do at this point? I mean, can you keep this? sustained is this the new normal or does it shake out eventually we think it's the new normal i've increased my staff at one point and this was maybe six months ago we actually stopped taking new clients because we were so busy and we felt we needed to manage our existing clientele better 
And so we stopped taking new clients for about maybe about six or eight week window. But now we're we're back on track. I increased my staff and and we're taking new clients again. So all right. Earl Abram, practice manager, vet tech at the Veterinary Care Center in Hollywood, five days out at least. Many pilots furloughed during the pandemic with so many flights canceled and planes grounded, but now they are headed back into the skies. Not quite like riding a bike, though. Learning curve, and uh, there have been some close calls. Laura Einsettler, veteran commercial airline pilot, over 30 years of experience. So, Laura, if a pilot hasn't been flying for a while, then goes back to work, what is involved? Well, hello, and thanks for having me on. It's it's definitely not like riding a bike, as you both have mentioned. <laughs> uh, many of us, many airlines, as you know, have gone out of business as well. And around the world, there's been over hundreds of thousands of aviation workers that have lost their jobs. So we are thrilled to start to see some of the recovery from this pandemic happening. And for us as pilots, because we're so specialized, it does take time to get to the point where we're retrained and it takes time for knowledge, experience and instruction to then kick into gear so that we're back up to full speed. So how much time are we talking and what's that look like? I saw somebody say, you know, you can probably go even for years. You can still get the thing off the ground, but it's everything else once you're up there that's the problem. (laughs) I wouldn't say it's a problem. It just takes time for us to, to spool back up, if you will, kind of like the engines. So it's, it's a, it's a process. The FAA, the airlines and the unions have agreed on, these are the things that we think, you know, amount of time in the simulators with instruction, with studying, with uh, crew coordination, running through all the emergencies again. So those type of training courses, we call them requalification courses, depend on how much experience you have, how much time you were on that specific jet type before this past year, when we've all, you know, been to some degree, I call it the backward shuffle, but some of us have gone to training for, it's it's like a backslide. So as the demand greatly dropped off, a lot of us backslid to to positions that we had before. It was a lot like after 9-11, where you know, some of us got furloughed and some of us had to get retrained in other jets. So that can be a little bit distracting because if you're used to flying a certain jet for several years and then you have to go back to training to uh, fly the jet that you had flown for years previous to that. So it all it depends on how long we've been out and how long we have been on those jets and how much overall experience. Are the airlines doing a good job at making sure their cockpit crews are up to speed or is there just a a great rush to get the planes back into the air as demand is mounting? You know, that's a great question. It's, it's definitely a combination for the airlines and for us personally and the union safety always is the most number one, most important thing. So uh, at the same time, when it's been a big struggle and thanks for the government aid for helping keep some of us on property, uh, even at the partial pay, partial hours, things like that. But it's allowed some of the airlines to be able to be flexible. And so as things are, are rebounding and we're returning into to our, our seats, uh, we're able to kind of look and see kind of for ourselves, you know, whether we think professionally it's enough for us or not. So we're able to say, no, we need some more in simulator training or no, we need some more on the line training with an instructor before we're cut loose again to uh, be operating our full uh, potential. 
So as a passenger, I can be pretty confident in whoever's up there. And there are two of you, so that's a bonus. <laughs> it's always a bonus because we're redundant to each other, right? So, and, uh, and you know, it's a matter of keeping the distractions to a minimum. There's obviously a lot of things to, to uh, you know, that we've endured and gone through. So it's critical to especially keep the professionalism at all times, stay focused on the tasks at hand and handle everything that we need to handle. So we're ready for you all to return. Come back and fly with us. <laughs> And the uh, planes themselves, uh, many of them, of course, have been parked in uh, the desert and some other places so they don't corrode. But uh, same thing. I mean, it isn't like a car that if you haven't driven it for a few weeks, you bring it to the car wash, clean it off, and you're on the road. It, It takes a lot more to get a plane that's been sitting idle for perhaps many months back into the air, doesn't it? Absolutely. And it, it, yeah, you can compare, compare it to a car, but on a much larger scale, obviously, and a lot more complex systems. Um, there's amount of time that depending on how long the jets have sat in storage and if they were in temporary storage situation or permanent storage situation. So if they were temporary, it's a lot easier and quicker to get them uh, up to speed. And same thing, you know, there's FAA regulations, the mechanics, you know, know what they need to do. There's a whole kind of lit- litany of checklists to make sure, you know, changing out all of the different fluids and running the jet and making sure that everything is is up to speed before we reach the jet and take you flying. What don't we realize about what's going on up there that maybe makes us sit and go, wow, they're, they're, they're sure doing a lot. Is it like, you know, how many people are on the, the, the channel in your ears at all times? I and mean, what's going on up there that, that, you know, the person having their, their drink and their pretzels in the back doesn't realize? <laughs> well, the people in the back with pretzels and drinks should just realize that if, if we're sitting up there and you're sitting on the, the jet with us, you can completely be assured that we are ready to rock and roll. That, uh, you know, it, it takes time. We'll be talking through our things, making sure everything's checked and, and everything's on par with the jet and us as well. So, you know, we're always making sure that everything is, is 100% safe and we're ready to go take you safely to your destinations. The airlines, though, this past year have uh, reported more complaints uh, about unruly passengers. How much of a problem is that becoming? It, it that is a problem because people don't realize that as you were just asking what should people realize those type of distractions are not safe for everybody else on board because when when we have to now be distracted from our main jobs and have to deal with somebody that just can't comply and be respectful of others and and uh, comply with FAA rules and regulations, as well as, you know, the particular airline and what they expect, you know, it takes us out of our our flow, our loop, our checklist, sometimes things like that. So as again, professionals, we, you know, you, you multitask, you division of duties and things, but it, that can be frustrating because we just want to get everyone there safely and on time. And we don't want to have to deal with things of unruly passenger type situations. Yeah. Settle down, everybody. Laura Einsettler, a veteran commercial airline pilot, over 30 years experience, also CBS News aviation consultant. Laura, thanks. Coming up after a short break, another pandemic-related shortage. This one could ruin your chicken sandwich. We discussed a chicken shortage not too long ago. Now the fast food chain 
known for its chicken sandwiches, having a major problem. It's not the chickens, though. Chick-fil-A has enough chicken meat. It's the sauce that's in short supply. Another example of a pandemic-related supply chain issue. Douglas Kent, Executive Vice President for Strategy at the Association of Supply Chain Management. Doug, is there just a shortage of everything these days? There is a shortage of everything. I wish the the most uh, concerning thing was the availability of sauces. I think uh, <laughs> we've seen we're seeing shortages on all kinds of fronts. Not the least, of course, is the the microchip shortage, which is of course affecting the automobile industry pretty dramatically. But why why the sauce for Chick Fil A? Is there something like really special about it? Um, I wouldn't say there's anything special about it. I'd say that, unfortunately, what you have is this this continuing element of unanticipated levels of demand, right? And our supply chain is not so resilient to be able to respond to that. And we're seeing that, uh, as I said, in in all kinds of sectors. And of course, um, you know, part of that equation is just having the availability to respond to the demand, not only with capacities to manufacture products, but also a workforce to to support that. We aim to get to the very heart of all the issues. So is this the Chick-fil-A sauce trademark or is this like no barbecue sauce or no ranch or no, you know, whatever else is in the green and the blue packets that they, which they would throw be, in the back? Which would be more serious. <laughs> Depending on your desires, I guess one could be one could certainly be more uh, serious than the other. I think the question is, is, it, you know, wh- what's the root cause, right? If one of it is the availability of raw ingredients then it's going to affect certain mixes of sauces. If the other is just transportation delays, and that's the cause, then of course, it's going to affect everything. So it's a it's a question. And by the way, all of those exist, raw material shortages and availability of that to manufacture. But also we have a, a, a serious tumultuous relationship with uh, all sorts of transportation issues at the moment. We got the boat out of the Suez Canal, but the, <laughs> the problems continue. But, but, but here's the thing, I guess, that I don't get, because Mike was looking on social media before and discovered that the sauce i can get a 16 ounce chick-fil-a sauce at a supermarket like on instacart or at kroger yeah. or target has so, pick up today yeah Let's so what, so what's the problem with chick-fil-a why can't they get their own sauce well remember that these things have different channels to market right one through the restaurant channel and the other via the consumer so uh let's not assume that the the same manufacturing source is going to be servicing the the demand in, in, in different channels. So, uh, it, you know, it's, it's again, then that would probably relate back to more, maybe it's more of a transportation related issue. It's available through one channel and not, not another. So you but buy 16 ounces is a lot of sauce. Oh, you so. can buy it, put it in your cup holder and then just, you know, squeeze it on. <laughs> Bring your own Reusable. sauce. Yeah. Bring your own sauce. the drive through anyway, you know? Okay. <laughs> uh, Douglas, how long for, for these things to, to get, better we talked about the actual chicken shortage i don't know a few weeks ago and we haven't heard too much about that but places were running out of chicken sandwiches uh we've done this with i don't know every other product in the book it seems like at least a few weeks and then people figure out what's going on yeah i think this one won't be as long lasting as some of the bigger issues as i mentioned but the reality of it is we we end up i I think the pandemic has taught us to have a hoarding mentality so the minute we hear that there's a crunch on something we start going at and artificially increasing the demand, which which continues to to build uh, on the on the original problem. So I don't think it's going to be a long issue relative to that. But we've got some fundamental issues that still need to get sorted out. Right there in the heart of LA, for example, we've got you know port congestions on incoming a lot of incoming goods. Um, we've got uh, you know trucker shortages in terms of being able to move things uh, via via road. 
Um, we've got, as I said, workforce development related issues, just having enough people at entry level jobs to manage this unanticipated levels of demand. So overall, the situation is going to continue, but I don't think your sauce one's going to hang around too long. <laughs> Good news. <laughs> All right. Douglas Kent, Executive Vice President Strategy, the Association of Supply Chain Management. As if people in India don't have enough to worry about with COVID raging there, they now have to watch out for black fungus. It's a rare but serious fungal infection, and it is appearing more frequently among COVID-19 patients in the country. It's caused by a certain group of molds, which tend to live in soil and decaying organic matter. It's a life-threatening infection. One doctor at Johns Hopkins says doctors only saw a handful of cases in India in the past decade, but in the past few months, tens of thousands of cases have been reported. Whirling at a deal with one pandemic at a time, I have no room for this. <laughs> this is an Odyssey original. You can find us on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Stitcher.